Then tonight, in front of all the Rocks fans, you will go one-on-one -on -one with the great one. Rock laying down a challenge for the big show tonight. And go on and check your big fat ass directly into the SmackDown Hotel. Big Show's gonna need a big king-sized bed, isn't he? <laughs> wait a minute. Hey, wait a minute. Is that Millennium Clock. It's, it's the Millennium Tower. Ten. Another exciting edition of Let Me Tell You Something, Brother, where we critique, go inside, we delve, we dive deep, we get to the core of a matter, a person, a persona, an aspect of the wrestling industry, and we pick it apart until it's bloody and raw. My name is Lorcan Mullen, and with me as always is my sweet stand to my beautiful Bobby, Christian to my edge, Luke to my butch, it's Simon Cross. How you doing, Simon? I'm alright, mate. I'm alright. You know what, Simon? I've listened to our debut, and some things still need to be tweaked. But what we're going to be talking about this episode is the debut. The wrestling debut. When a new face is launched on a promotion, on a show. So, Simon, how important do you actually think the first appearance of a wrestler is to their longevity? I think it used to mean more than it does today because back in the sort of time when you started watching i mean we've covered this on our previous show that we are from slightly different generations yes i'm 30 years old i started watching wrestling in 1991 simon was born in 1991 and didn't start watching wrestling until after wcw and ecw had collapsed 
So you're from an entirely different generation and perspective of wrestling fan. And I think when you started watching, especially because, and again we've touched on this a little bit, there was less outsider knowledge. It was all about what you saw was what you got, who they are and what they do. It meant a lot more because the character meant a lot more, I think, in terms of making their debut because they had to be a bit more character-based, I think, than they do have to be today, which I think is why certain characters who do come out and... There's one I'll allude to later on as a particular good example stand out from the pack when they're so character ingrained in the modern era. I think the debuts are still quite important, of course, because um, you know you need to hit the ground running. You know, first impression. You know, that's why you're nice, meant to wear nice shiny shoes to a job interview. It's the same principle. You want to grab the attention from the get-go. And I think that's really the important key component that stayed throughout. It's just how you grab that attention has become easier, I think, mm. in this day and age. But there's a whole myriad of reasons I think that's the case. Because very often, uh, if we're going to give an, a counterpoint, an example, from outside the world of wrestling, a lot of people will buy a novel based on going into the bookshop and reading the first page, maybe the first paragraph, maybe just the first line. And there's that need to grab your attention from the get-go. And there will be top ten lists of the great openings of novels. Call me Ishmael. Last night I dreamt I went to Mandalay. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. Those are some of the most memorable lines of literature. And they come from the start of the book. It's chapter one, page one, paragraph one, sentence one. And in the wrestling world, sometimes it is vitally important to have that chapter one, first word, first line, first reaction from the crowd. If you can get that from the reaction on day one, then you are very possibly set for life. Not always, but very often you're set for life. Now, we're going to say with debuts, obviously you can't really go by a wrestler's first ever match. Because there are very, very few full-time, long-time wrestlers for whom you will have seen their first ever match. On television, it will usually be in a little venue. We've seen Chris Jericho wrestle Lance Storm many times, but we didn't see that first match up in Winnipeg or Calgary or wherever it was. That can't count as their debut. But Chris Jericho's debut in WCW or when he took on Chris Benoit on Fall Brawl. Paul Lance Storm's debut in the WWE when he super-kicked Perry Saturn to signify the start of the WCW invasion. Those are the sort of debuts we'll be talking about, I suppose. Debuts within a specific promotion. And I guess that's going to be one of the great examples of debuts, wouldn't you say? Chris Jericho's debut on WWF Monday Night Raw. We might as well get into specifics as we're going through, and that's kind of, when I think of debuts, that's one that springs to mind. But it's a debut that I think sometimes gets misremembered by people. I think uh, in terms of that specific debut, a great way of taking someone who was underappreciated and fans of the WWF knew that. And as a result, I think throwing him into the mix in in such a way as they did enhanced his debut far greater than if he'd debuted just as himself was talking in the ring. Or a gimmick repackaging or renaming, as they would have, they would feel the need to do now. If, if they were to sign a top star from TNA and debut them on Raw, first of all, that wouldn't happen. But if it did happen, it wouldn't be as AJ Styles, it wouldn't be as Samoa Joe, it wouldn't be as Chris Saban, it would be as Johnny Allen or Joey the Samoan. They won't get that opportunity. So maybe Jericho was one of the last of a dying breed. He was also one of the only ones that made the move from WCW to WWF. Uh, You had your high-profile instance of Scott Hall, Kevin Nash... Rick Rude, even when he returned and suddenly had the moustache, uh, the full beard gone to show that 
Nitro was live, uh, Ted DiBiase. Really the only high-profile ones the other way were when the big show debuted at St. Valentine's Day Massacre a few months beforehand, and then Chris Jericho. Now, I think what people misremember about the Chris Jericho debut being so amazing is that he did become a star relatively soon after that. And he was up against The Rock. And I think most of all, the most important thing that makes that Jericho debut memorable was not anything Chris Jericho said, but it was when his name appeared on the Titantron after the big build-up, the countdown, and then the light show, and then the fireworks, and then the opening to one of the best entrance themes in wrestling history. Although a slightly modified one to the one that becomes popular in the oncoming months and years. But it was when that name finally arrived, Jericho, and then the whole crowd was clued in on who was there. It also helped that it was in Chicago as well, notoriously one of the loudest crowds in wrestling. And that ovation was just huge. And then the shot of Chris Jericho with his back to the camera, automatically creating an iconic pose, making himself a silhouetted figure, as it were. Uh, when Matt Groening said when he was designing Simpsons characters, he always wanted them to be memorable in silhouette. In that moment, Chris Jericho had already created a silhouette iconic image of himself to go with Hulk Hogan tapping his ears or Macho Man with his finger in the air. Highlander, did you say? Uh, Michelangelo, but both Michelangelo, ones. sorry, yeah, yeah, that's a good one, yeah, Michelangelo. Now, I think... Uh, or was that Da Vinci? Oh, that drew the... It was know. one of the Ninja Turtles, anyway. <laughs> well, there's a demographic we've lost. Mm. Anyway, one of the things that stood out for me, and in terms of the silhouette, and I know this is going a little bit off topic with it, but I think one of the things that makes it so memorable is the slight misstep, and bless him, it was a misstep, of what he was doing with his hair. Yes. Well, that's what qualifies the debut, because Chris Jericho himself doesn't actually like that debut that much. He was very critical of it in his book, because his hair was like that of a comedy character, which was what he was from WCW. And I guess he, he figured they just want Chris Jericho. That's what they want. They want the, the man of a thousand and four holds. They want the guy who mispronounces everyone's name, which he did retain. They want the idiots. They want the klutz. But if they're putting him up against The Rock, they probably wanted him to come across as a bit more of a badass than he did. And he didn't really, outside of the pose and the music, he didn't really look like a badass because then he started making those comical facial gestures. His promo was fine, but it wasn't one of his best ones, I don't think. It kind of meandered. It went on too long. And then The Rock just came back with his Mad Libs promo, but it was still a promo that got the crowd going more than Chris Jericho, trying to invent catchphrases like never, ever, and other ones, Ayatollah, rock and roller. But obviously, at that point, wouldn't have the audience sing-along aspect to it. So again, it was another problem that he had. That's another problem that you have as a debut. People don't know your shtick yet. They knew a certain amount of Chris Jericho's shtick, but they didn't know these catchphrases. I think he tried to do too much. I think he probably, yeah, he probably did think this is my time to shine and I'll get a WrestleMania main event straight away from it or something like that. Although then again, like I say in his book, he did notice that he was, it was him, Triple H, The Rock and The Big Show on the original WrestleMania 2000 poster. So maybe their plans have been for him to be in the main event by that time. Who knows? With that, it's great debut in hindsight. Because then in the following month, he fell down the card. He was feuding with the road dog. He was losing to Gangrel. He was feuding with China and being made to look a fool. He was getting massive heat backstage, as he said in, in the autobiographies and, and in interviews. So if he'd have fallen flat on his face and ended up in WCW again in the middle of 2000, 
uh, under, under the watchful eye of Vince Russo, that would have been seen as one of the great could have been debuts. So I think a debut becomes maybe maybe a debut becomes a great debut if it then leads to a, a great career anyway. That's interesting you mentioned that. Lose the point I made earlier about characters standing out in the modern era and how that had a great impact on a debut, but how that sort of I think been semi diminished and I hope there's a long term plan to get it back. Ray Wyatt stood out amazing the moment that first Viginet Rel rolled, it stood out. You know, a character, someone who's got who's not not just bloke that turns up and wrestles, which you get more and more and more of these bloke that turns up and wrestles. There's the good guy, arrogant bloke that turns up and wrestles. Yeah. There's your Irish bloke that wrestles. Yeah. This bloke that wrestles. It's truly multicultural these days. It's uh, quite oh, yeah. remarkable. I mean, they've lost a little bit of the culturalism with losing gender, and of course, Drew, but... Yes. You can't get them all. They're adding a Japanese now, so that kind of makes up. That's Asian. That counts. That's what they were saying to Jinder. I'm sorry, Jinder, but we've got another one of you coming in. Another what? Yeah, he's Japanese. I'm not Japanese. Well, we fought you in the war at some point. That was Vince McMahon. Oh, we fought them some, I don't know, we're bombing them now or we bombed them then. But with Bray, it was different because it was just this mad swamp bloke leader. Like, really captivating promos and just mm. had everyone's... Tension and he turned up and then just wiped out Kane. Yeah, that's a statement of intent as well. Having him not, you know, who who they debut against is probably a big sign if they put them up against Kane or The Rock. I mean, the Kane is of one level, The Rock's of a whole another level. Another great example: Kurt Angle when he made his debut on TNA. Immediately he's brawling with Samoa Joe who's the hottest act in, in the promotion at the time. Undefeated Samoa Joe. Undefeated Samoa Joe. So that's... Ca- well, with Kurt Angle, your statement of intent's already there with it being Kurt Angle, but it wasn't that they were they weren't going to hold off. They were going to give us the dream match, Kurt Angle against Samoa Joe, right off the bat. Which I think they rushed in hindsight. In but hindsight, but at that moment, you were like, holy oh, shit, oh, no, it's going to happen! I was into it, line and singer, of, of course. Um, mm. I am being the negative captain hindsight with that one, yeah. but at the time, no, I was, I was just like, this is amazing, it's yeah. happening now, oh my god, it's happening now. Yeah, and then it'll be AJ and all the dream matches will happen. Here's the thing, actually, with uh, Chris Jericho and Bray Wyatt, they were given, well, they were given two different types of the same type of debut, which was a debut that was preceded by trailers. They were given trailers to their appearance. Bray Wyatt was given his video vignettes. Just, Chris Jericho was given the countdown thing, which didn't specify who was coming, just something was coming. Which is interesting with Bray's now, because, um, I mean, I know we don't really want to date this specifically, no. but his character has flagged, and now they are doing a little bit of the promo stuff again. That links to my point about how it's diminished somewhat, because he had his feud, then he had his dream feud with Cena, and then nothing. Mm. And looking back now, all the hard work, mm. all the effort you've put in, the crowd, the response, the incredible WrestleMania entrance that I've loved so intently, all seems for naught at the moment. Mm. It's salvageable. Mm. But the, t- the window is starting to slam shut. So say if, if Bray Wyatt kind of becomes... I don't think he could ever become just another body. I don't think he'll ever be just a guy who fills a, a gap. I don't think, I don't think, I think he's too, I think they know he's too good to do that, but they might run out of ideas for him. I think he would have been in your era, not in this one. Yeah, you, you think he might be lost in the shuffle in this era? Uh, no, in the era you started watching. Oh, I think, that's I think true, 
I mean, I get, don't get me wrong, a Bray Jake the Snake Roberts feud, that was that that'd be <laughs> money. But because you had so many offbeat and occult characters back then, your Kamala, your Papa Shango, yeah, you know, Jake. I'd say is an occ- sort of an occult character. He's more of a straight-laced occult character, but yeah. you know the whole darkness and the snake and yeah, you know. teaching the ultimate warrior how to deal with evil and to look evil in the face. He was he was a natural ally for Zombie Undertaker. Well, but I think one of the great things about Bray Wyatt's debut and with his debut promo and his debut entrance music and entrance, you understood who this character was immediately. He was this Florida Gator, backwoods, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, justified sort of character. That was a more complex character in a way. You knew more about him, but you can also debut, famously they'll debut gimmicks by giving them funny little videos. When I started getting to watch the WWF around the time of the Attitude Era, at the start of the Attitude Era was when I got to watch wrestling again, as said in the previous episode... The vignette, the two characters, actually, this is two different ends of the spectrum. Uh, well, sort of the same spectrum. Uh, the two characters that were being, being given weekly video trailers for their debut were Edge and Val Venus. With Edge, there was kind of an enigma to him. He was, what was he? Was he an alternative kind of Kirk Bain inspired Gen X angry young man? You didn't hear him talk, you didn't hear him speak, you didn't hear anyone speak, you just heard the music and you saw flashing images of him walking through dark alleys and attacking people and screaming at the camera. And conversely, you have Val Venus's debut, which were all promos, they were him talking to the camera, they were very tongue-in-cheek. Val Venus was the ultimate statement of the Attitude Era, that this is as far as we're willing to go. We will now have porno actors as wrestlers that is the attitude twist on the ravishing rick rude ladies man character from the 80s we're this is the attitude era version of rick rude was basically what they were saying and maybe that's interesting that val venus's gimmick that was a gimmick whereas edge was a character i suppose or just an idea he was more it was it was more malleable val venus was what he was and as a result val venus's career kind of tapered off within a few years really whereas edge was able to be molded and changed and evolved and still be called edge and still kind of work with that character that debuted valvina suddenly becoming a super serious i'm going to be one of the champ i'm going to be a rival to the champ which they tried to do with him in 99 having him go to the mcfoley and the like didn't really work because of the way they debuted him as a semi-comical ironic character and they retain the name Val Venus, and they retain the music for the most part. And so they couldn't really do that with him. But with Edge, he could be, because of the way they debuted him, he could be altered, he could be morphed, he could be changed. They gave themselves room to breathe with that character, which I think they've given with Bray Wyatt as well. <clears throat> Another example I'd say, because you mentioned, obviously, those guys, obviously, Jericho, um, well, less Jericho, but more Val Venus and Edge and Bray, all mm. had their... Uh, promo run-ups. One of the guys I like a lot in terms of his promo run-ups was something a little bit clever and offbeat they did and it's not a WWE example. We are uh, peaking beyond the uh, fog of war uh, and I didn't know about this at the time and it came from my mate James who's not a TNA advocate by any sense of the imagination. He can't stand the stuff for the way it's written. He loves the wrestling but not the content. But one thing he um, he sent me a video, um, he showed me the video on his phone and it's just like, you've got to look at this guy. It's like, you know, one of the old blokes from Tough Enough and it was Ethan Carter the third, 
And it was just him, like, you know, walking around, doing his rich guy sort of thing, like one of his promos. And he was just so good at being such an arsehole. Sort of Miz-esque levels of arseholishness, but without less cheese behind it, he's got a bit more menace. Mm. Miz just looks a bit like if Winnie the Pooh goes through a uh, nightclub phase later on in his life. Whereas Ethan Carter III just looks like some bloke who's just like, yeah, I'm rich, and what? He was the jock at the prestigious high school who mm. could actually beat you up as well. It wasn't all talk like you get with The Miz. You don't feel like The Miz could beat anyone up, no. really. You feel like EC3 could. Yeah. yeah, he can back up his mouth, which makes him all the more annoying to deal with. Like when he has street fights with Rhino, he, you know, you believe he could hang with Rhino. Mm. Whereas if you put Miz against Rhino, Rhino would eat him physically and mentally eat his soul. <laughs> Dining on it with the knife and fork. I might put some in the Tupperware box for later, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, know. that kind of thing. So that's an interesting example that you give of, of um, a character being well-defined within the debut video packaging. Do you prefer that way? Do you prefer that build-up of them being given a few weeks or months' worth of video trailers? Because that kind of went out of fashion for quite a few years that I can recall, in the WWE in particular. Whereas, and I can't remember if they do used it that much in TNA or whatever. Or do you prefer that kind of just, this is the guy he's going to be, uh, this is the new guy he's going to be debuting? I might be misremembering it, but for example, I don't believe Goldberg was given any kind of build-up. He just came out one Nitro, and they had him beat Hugh Morris in pretty quick time. And the announcers were kind of surprised by that, and they're like, oh, this guy's got something. And then he refused an interview with me and Gene. So it was about them not showing anything really about him. He was very simple. He had black tu- black trunks, great look. I don't know, if, I can't remember if they mentioned his Atlanta Falcons background. And there then are, talk. So there it was is- more the enigmatic aspect to him, again, kind of like Edge. That is a striking equivalent. I wouldn't say Edge is a striking equivalent. I'd say Rusev's debut was. Technically, his debut was the Royal Rumble, wasn't it? That's what I mean. Oh, sorry, yeah, yeah. That's his, that, like, not his character debut when he just first showed up. Like, mm. like he came out, there was a the few fans who, de- you know, were tuned into NXT. I mean, something we'll uh, have to touch on it later. Mm. And they had the edge, because they were, pardon the pun, mm. um, but they, they were like, oh, oh this, like, oh, this is going to be interesting. When I hadn't seen him in NXT, I was watching it, um, like like I usually do in live in a pub. Uh, my mate James had seen him in NXT, and he was like, "Oh, this is gonna be this is all gonna kick off." And here's me just looking at this huge man that's half barrel, half yeah. bear, mm. coming towards the ring like what? He's as wide as he is tall. Here? Yeah, like his physique is just unnatural. Like, it's it's, it's old fashioned. It's Harley Race sort of stocky big. You feel he's like he, he gets it not from lifting weights in a gym, but by lifting barrels and mm. trekking up and down mountains with them and then Six. eating the contents of the barrel as well after he's finished carrying it. It's full of like 18 kilos or something, of pickled herring or something. Yeah, yeah, or raw potatoes or something like that. It just looks old school. Like I think... The one mistake you mustn't do for the most part is actually put too much pressure on them from the start. Uh, case in points being, I think, at least two occasions. I know one's coming to my head. I can't remember the other one. Oh, yeah, actually, the other one's really obvious. Um, 
two occasions I can think of with women debuting, and this is probably just down to the shallow nature of their roster at, dif- at various points, they had them win the women's title or the Divas title in their very first match. The two that I'm thinking of are Gail Kim a few years ago. Yeah. Uh, this would be about 2006, oh, 2007. Really and the other one most recently is Paige, where she won it on her first night on WWE on the Raw after WrestleMania. Now, that's yeah. pretty... If you debut a person the Raw after WrestleMania, that's a statement of intent as well. Mm. Because very often the Raw after WrestleMania is, is as highly anticipated, if not more, than the WrestleMania event itself, because you know stuff goes down on the Raw. I'd say it's one of the biggest events of the year. It's one of the four or five biggest events of the year, definitely. It's, the, it's definitely the biggest Raw, I think. Oh. For most fans, anyway. Especially now that they've got the smarkiest smarks that ever smarked the- in the crowd yeah. now. Closest run-up would, I think, be post-Rumble Raw, usually. Yeah. But but those are few and far in between. And the problem with with Gail Kim and the Page debuts were that they gave them the belt, and therefore they had nothing to go for afterwards. They had nothing to... They had no final goal. They They reached the summit on day one. It's like having Rocky win the world title in his first match on Rocky. I disagree on the page one. I think the fact that she beat one of the longest-running Divas champions meant that they sort of had to go with this undeserving champion thing. And then she had to earn... She'd earned the belt, but she hadn't earned the word champion to be added after her name. But the problem with that is, doesn't that then dilute the championship? Depends how strong your roster is. And unfortunately... The Divas roster is very weak. That was kind of the reason, I guess, Paige was given the belt, was because there was no one else to give it to, really. And AJ was going for a bit. That yeah. Night. What annoyed me with part of that, and I think it might have just been down to injury, I might be wrong, is that Tamina never had a go at Paige, like, properly, for the, like, just a couple of matches, but I don't recall her having a title match. I could be wrong. It could just be that I've blurred, blacked it, blotted mm. it out of my memory. It's sort of... You need a strong roster if you're going to do the undeserving champion. You can't just have one other really good wrestler, you know, who's not even allowed to do moves a la Emma. I was going to say, Paige, I think Paige grew into it, and it worked. It may be because I have a slight, well, I say a lot of slight, a bit of a, it's a bit of a crush, I'm not going to lie. You're, 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 you're madly in love with Paige, like 95% of the male WWE audiences. That's understandable. It's understandable. Paige is the female Roman Reigns. We've come Ooh. Now that would be a pairing. Oh God! The genetics in that kid. Two lots of wrestling royalty. Well, I don't know if you can call Paige's family royalty, but they're certainly local urchins in the town square. Oh, no, I'd say they're uh, they're royalty of a smaller fiefdom. <laughs> yes, they're like the royalty of San Marino or something. <laughs> like that. Still counts. Still, still counts. counts. I'm a princess. It still counts. But Gail Kim was kind of the other end of the spectrum that she was just didn't mean anything. And, and that was at a time where they still had people like Trish and Molly and Victoria. And, and if she didn't mean anything to the crowd, why would they go crazy for her when she won the belt? That, uh, that's is she a good guy? Is she a bad guy? She's got a cool Matrix look thingy. Yeah. But then, then in her next subsequent matches where they're trying to establish her as this great high-flying new form of wrestler, she screws up around the place because she's nervous and she's never wrestled in that kind of environment before and you you know, you are throwing her into the deep end. Do you think 
that was a bad debut, and do you think that was ever going to be recoverable, given the state of the Divas division at that point? Well, I think she was able to reinvent herself as a submission wrestler for a while uh, in her first run. But I think, I, think, I, think it, I think it blew it in, in Vince's eyes with her. Vince never trusted her again. Vince is always like that, though. He, yeah. he makes snap judgments. And well, yeah, but those snap judgments sometimes are what we make when a wrestler debuts. We made the snap judgment that Bray Wyatt is awesome. We made the snap judgment that Chris Jericho is awesome. We made the snap judgment that Gail Kim does not deserve the plaudit she got. We, uh, that that affected all of the three careers in, in similar ways. Well, I think, I think the bitch career that was affected by a snap judgment that was made within seconds is, of course, the most famous example of a bad debut that mm-hmm. no one could have recovered from. Mm-hmm. And that is the Shockmaster himself. Oh, yes. The legendary. But the thing is, everyone's going to remember that. Oh, no, oh, remember it, yeah. Not for it's, the right I mean, reasons. Everyone remembers watching The Room... But you may forget having seen... You know, there are those films where you're like, have I seen that film? I think I've seen that film. Examples being like, um, I don't know, Child's Play 3. I think I've seen Child's Play 3. It's. I think I've played Dynasty Warriors 5. They all blend into each other. Yeah, Bombs so it's like, I think I saw the debut of Bull Buchanan, yeah. but maybe I didn't. But everyone... I mean, those who haven't, there might be some out there still. I implore you, YouTube, debut of the Shockmaster, mm-hmm. is everything you want in a human car crash and more. Mm. Bless him. He tried so hard. And but it was screwed from the beginning. And it was a terrible, it was terribly directed as well. If you watch the build-up to that, it's awful. It's something that, you watch those old promos and they say, oh, people in the 80s and territory days, they knew how to cut a promo and they knew this, that. They didn't know where to stand where the camera was. I was watching an old video recently of Kurt Hennig, and this is the great Kurt Hennig breaking into the Memphis wrestling set after Jerry Lawler's beaten him for the AWA title, and he's just got his back to camera, and he's yelling at Lance Russell, and you can't see anything. And it's the same thing with the Shockmasters debut. Davy Boy Smith is literally standing with his back to the camera, back to the audience, yelling at Sid Vicious. You can't see Sting. You can't see Ric Flair. The whole thing was a mess. It was condemned from the start. It was. I, I and then she fell over. She fell over. And why was it a purple stormtrooper helmet? Like no one's ever truly explained that to me. Why they no. just borrowed that as a thing? It's like they're like, oh, we're gonna have a guy called the Shockmaster. It's like they're gonna know he's Typhoon. It's like, oh, yeah. toy shop. Yeah. <laughs> Someone's kid was running around backstage. Maybe Cody Rose was running around backstage with a little stormtrooper <laughs> helmet on. Are you directly implicating Cody Rhodes? I am. Shot? I am. And if Cody Rhodes never tweets me back and says that wasn't the case, I will blame Cody Rhodes from now on. That's that's it. You've heard it from me here, folks. Cody Rhodes is responsible for the failure of the Shockmaster. And... And unless I hear from you, Cody, unless I get a tweet, dispute it. He won the big match. Like, the match he was actually put in, his first debut match, he won it. Like, you know, he got, I can't remember who he beat, but he beat them by submission. Yeah, I think it was one of Harlem Heat's in the uh, War Games match. But then they had to make a whole thing about how he falls over all the time. That became his gimmick. And then he became Uncle Fred a couple of months later with the construction helmets. Which I guess, which is somehow, he must be one of the few wrestlers whose gimmick wearing a construction helmet was an improvement on the previous headwear he was wearing. 
because to go because to go from one terrible debut on WCW to another because of a saddle with a terrible gimmick. How about another hard-headed man, the real man's man, Stephen Regal, <laughs> with his awful, very, I mean, even more tongue-in-cheek than the Val Venus videos. A real man will crush a tree with his bare hands. Or I think I've mixed up a tree with an orange in that. Because that was one of the great... It was like he cuts down trees, he eats his lunch, he goes to the lavatory. But he, he you know, he cuts down trees, he builds walls or whatever and he squeezes his own oranges to make orange juice it's like okay fine whatever go about your day um mm. as you do with uh, it's like, it was that's a bizarre one it is and uh, i'm trying to think one of the other examples i i found was something sort of equivalent was Johnny Curtis, not Fandango, but Johnny Curtis's uh, pro, like promos, because it'd just be like, oh, I've got an ace in the hole, and you just see him put, uh, you know, do a little bit of pitch and put, and there was an ace in the uh, in the hole on the like pitch and put, and it's like, uh, I've got you know a wheel wild card or something like that, and it's just that, and then he turns up, and then Mark Henry absolutely, absolutely annihilates him, and it's done, it's just done all over and done with. Yeah. Him. You've wasted at least two months of our time for that. There are terrible examples of that over the years. Um, when Dustin Rhodes re-debuted on WCW was seven, and they'd given him a series of video packages, really creepy video packages, seemed to imply he was going to play a pedophile, possibly. Yeah, what? And then the first what? thing he does is say, what the hell am I wearing? Yeah. This is stupid. So... I don't know if it was them killing... Or, or another great example, Beaver Cleavage. We can go on and on and on about terrible video. Glacier. He, I think he was built up for like a year or something like that. And they... Didn't his entrance cost like $500,000 a time? Something, something crazy stupid. like that. And then they end up giving it to Kaz Hayashi. Who's a great guy, but he didn't need Glacier any more than the other guy did. Or he didn't need Glacier any more than the entire wrestling industry needed Glacier. He didn't need to be Glacier the same way Hunico didn't need to become Sinkara. No. Well, that, there's another great example of a guy given all the tools in the world. Actually, that's a good example bringing us to another uh, thing of the debut in the modern era, especially in the WWE era. Sinkara, I think, will be the last of the breed of wrestlers who was debuted pretty much immediately. He did not have to go through the developmental territory because they wanted to get Mystico. They wanted to get the biggest star in Mexican wrestling as they thought of it at the time. I believe Mystico had actually waned and and reached his peak a few years before that. But they just immediately threw him in the WWE ring, had him attack Sheamus, had him, I think he again debuted on the Raw after WrestleMania. He was given his own light scheme for his own matches. And again, first match in. Wasn't that to like falls sort off of a top rope? Yeah, I was going to say, wasn't the lighting to dull out some of his mistakes because they Possibly. knew he's like, like we'll just work. But but what that then created was a wariness of ever having anyone debut before they were quote unquote re-educated or taught right. So maybe a few years ago, Kenta would have debuted on the WWE to try and capitalise on the Japanese market. But instead, they had him debut pretty high profile, as high profile as you can get, but on NXT, as high profile as an NXT debut is allowed to be. 
And it's interesting how Triple H said recently in a conference call that the way they debut someone on NXT will be different to the way they debut them on the WWE because they're aware that they're targeting a different fan. That NXT is for the guys like you and I, for the most part, that are really into their wrestling. The hardcore fan base that will probably always keep the WWE Network subscription because they can watch through the old archives. When but, it eventually turns up in the UK. Yes, when it eventually turns up in the UK. There's no way we could have possibly got it through alternative means at all. Uh, no comment. But now, do wrestlers debut on WWE Raw? Or is it is a true day? Did Rusev, Rusev truly debut when he was appearing on NXT? Yes, is it a staggered series of debuts now for a WWE wrestler. Possibly. Okay, here's a good example for you here. Have Sami Zayn, Tyler Breeze, and Adrian Neville already debuted in the WWE because they were on that one? Well, had a, ooh, well that's different. Really. But that's going to be how most WWE wrestlers, NXT graduates, will debut from here on in. They'll kind of be staggered onto Raw, I believe. See, that's more of a like, oh, look at them, they're doing something. And then where, where do I find more of them? Ala Russo. Mm-hmm. Um, which, by the way, just that was, that was genius, the way they did that in the Rumble. It was like, look, it took four blokes. Who is, who is this guy? Who is this Rusev? <laughs> no one sees Hyder Erevin for months. It's incredible. Mm. Um the Sami Zayn one, that's different. And that's different because of the way the Rusev one's different. What Rusev has done, effectively, in combination with the signing of Kenta and our beloved Prince Devitt, mm-hmm. and, of course, our indie darling Kevin Steen, uh, what, that, what those have done have changed. Those four signing slash debuts have changed the way debuting will be from now on, purely mm. because of NXT. Mm. However... Their NXT debut will not count as no. their official debut. So, their so do you think that was Sami Zayn's debut? Because it feels to me like that's a waste of a Sami Zayn debut. Him being kind of a supporting no. player in the Adrian Neville exhibition, and that's no that's no diss to Adrian Neville. He's great as well, and and it feels a bit of a waste of his debut that they can't then capitalize on him being on Raw the next week and the next week beating more guys with that red hour move. Here's the thing. No, because they haven't been hyped. It's not their debut. And I think fans know that now Mm. because of the Rusev example. Rusev turns up in the Royal Rumble, does his thing, eventually knocked out. Fine, whatever. A few months later, you know, the slow packages start building, slow packages start building, slow packages start building. He debuts. His appearance in the Rumble is referenced, but this is like, he's here now, he's finally here, doing this, what is he going to do against these guys in a one-on-one situation? Their tag match against each other, the NXT graduates who recently had their tag match in Raw, means there's like, oh cool, they're doing their, you know, we're seeing, we're not seeing a Raw match, we're seeing an NXT match, which means when we see them compete in a Raw match, that will be their debut on Raw, if you follow. We didn't see Raw in that segment. We saw NXT in a larger arena, mm. and it was presented as such. Mm. Maybe they should have brought the NXT announcers in as well, then. Or or maybe it meant more by having Michael Cole say, wait till you <laughs> see this Adrian Neville guy. Yeah. Oh, no, don't change... No, they shouldn't have changed the announcers over. No. Because the whole point is, it's still NXT, but it's NXT on the big stage. Okay. And cheaper now if you just swap the announcers over for one match okay they did it very well but it's not a raw match it's an nxt match on raw designed to expose nxt to the to 
those casual fans. And that's why they had Adrian Neville do the Adrian Neville, look at me, I'm amazing, I'm bloody everywhere, which mm. is incredible at. No one's disputing that. Yeah. Okay, but will you also concede that there'll never be another debut like Chris Jericho's? There will have to be a staggered debut, and you will know who these people are that's being debuted, and there won't be any kind of intrigue or mystery to it. Sadly, in 95% of the cases, I believe that will happen. Mm. I still think that is going to be a one genuine surprise every now and again. Mm. It's going to be a hell of a job to do it. Because to be fair, staggering a person's importance to the rest of the promotion is not a new form of debuting a wrestler. Very often wrestlers would be debuted very slowly. Uh, well, their debut would sometimes be in a losing effort or a winning effort, but against no one that important, and they just said, this is a guy for the future. And a great example is that pretty much every debut in ECW would not necessarily signify how big a deal they would be in the future. Paul Heyman would very slowly bring a wrestler in. Mm. They would very rarely win a title immediately. They would very rarely be put into a main event program immediately. Paul Heyman's always kind of testing the water, because you don't know with the Philadelphia crowd who they were going to like or not. Well, Tommy Dream raised this up on the Steve Austin show quite recently, mm. that he wasn't supposed to be liked. He came in as this, like, you know, sort of pretty boy sort of thing, and... They never really accepted him for that, and it took him doing the hardcore things he did to win mm. the Philadelphia crowd over. Mm. So that was the thing. They, they knew you had to be won over. The Philadelphia crowd had to be won over. And they wouldn't just be won over necessarily by one match. Mm. They'd be won over over a number of months. They'd see them acclimatised the ECW way. Because when Lance Storm debuted, he had a terrible rat tail, ponytail, blonde thing, and he didn't know how to swing a chair. And it took until he was really partnered with Chris Candido and they let the character come out. Rob Van Dam, the same thing. He was slowly debuted alongside Chris Jericho. I think he lost his first two matches. And then gradually they involved him in the Sabu storyline. And then he eventually became first Mr. Monday Night, then Mr. Pay-Per-View, RVD 420, most popular guy on the roster. The Sandman started off as a weird surfer dude that they then repackaged as the unfiltered cigarette lighting. So they kind of have to let them find their feet more in ECW. How do you fit within the ECW style? Two questions off that point then. Do you think how smart the crowd... Like, Do you think that having a slightly less smarky crowd in the WWE as compared to ECW affects their wrestler can debut in that promotion comparatively? Yes or no? Yes. The, the knowledge base of a wrestler will always affect how... A wrestling fan will always affect how that fan's... Uh, interpreted on their debut. Do you think then, if we sort of are counting the repackaging of a character, sort of it within the debut process, that the repackaging of a Sting to Crow Sting can technically be counted as possibly one of the greatest debuts in quote marks of all time? Yes or no? Yes, if you want to say a repackaging, because you could say The Undertaker debuted a number of different times. Biker Taker debuted on Judgment Day 2000. Um, the, the Reincarnated Taker debuted at Royal Rumble, uh, at WrestleMania 20. Biker Taker is like those films you think you, you, you can't remember if you've watched. You sort of forget he was a thing. <laughs> 
They like they like you to forget he was a thing. Apparently, that's a real sore spot. Never bring up Biker Taker to Vince McMahon. That's like never bringing up Alien Three to David Fincher. It's just something you don't want to do. Never bring up any of the the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen or film adaptations to Alan Moore. Yeah, it's just it's a sore spot. It's a, it's a, something they don't like. But actually, to give you an example of of uh, wrestlers very often given two debuts. Look at Japanese wrestling, specifically look at New Japan Pro Wrestling. All their wrestlers are dilute, they're, they're not allowed any personality to begin with. When they debut, they will lose pretty much every single match they have for the first year or so of their career. And then, very often, they'll go abroad, they'll bulk up, and then they'll come back with colourful trunks, colourful tights, and they'll very often win a big match soon afterwards. And they still have one to of work the their way off the card. I'd say the most classic example of that is the great Muto. Mm. He was Kiji Muto in his black tights for the most part. Goes to America, becomes a star as the great Muta, comes back. He's still Kiji Muto, but he's still he's also known as the great Muta. And then he's got those two different personas to play off of. Kichi Yamada comes back as Jushin Thunder Liger. Satoru Sayama, he's Sammy Lee in England. And then he comes back and he's Tiger Mask. Uh, they tried that a few other times. Koji Kanemoto came back as the third incarnation of Tiger Mask. Lance Cade sort of not, yeah. Lance Cade sort of came back as the incarnation of Stan Hansen in Japan. Yeah, it's yeah. Similar to that. Sort of reincarnating them. So in Japan, and great example recently has been um, Kazuchika Okada, his second most, his second high-profile match back in the promotion after going abroad to TNA. He wins the IWGP heavyweight title. Again, some people thought, is this too soon? Because he's, ve- I think he was only 23 when he won that title. And traditionally, I think Tanahashi was 30 when he won his. Because and it, and, and also, Nakamura at 25 was like lauded as far too young. So well, yeah, Nakamura was, Nakamura again is kind of the exception that proves the rule. He was the guy that was given the high profile debut, uh, immediately. He did not go through that young lion system. But that was back when they had their obsession with mixed martial arts and Antonio Inoki was being an even bigger idiot than he usually is. Uh, All Japan, when they kind of re-debuted Mitsuhara Misawa after he unmasked as Tiger Mask and had him beat Jumbo Saruta. So that's kind of, that's kind of a debut to a character like, like, that's sort of like an establishing moment, that match, but that's kind of a different discussion for a different time. Uh, we're gonna start winding this down. I think we could talk about debuts plenty more times in the future and hopefully our debut last week was a good one we'll have to wait to hear feedback from people but like most debuts we'll learn from our mistakes and hopefully in hindsight it will look like it was the beginning of a wonderful relationship between us and our listeners but what we're going to do to end this is we usually do the Mount Rushmore of something well we usually we started doing the Mount Rushmore thing to follow in the legends of wrestling we're the legends in our own mind of wrestling what I'm going <laughs> to ask for you Simon are your four Mount Rushmore worst debuts Ooh. and your four Mount Rushmore greatest debuts you can choose which one you want to go with first I will do I'm going to do best first okay you do best I'll, I'll do best actually you do best I'll do worst then you do worst I'll do best so I'll be like a sandwich Free off the bat. Um, I've gone out of my way to pick a non-WWE one because I, I, I appreciate that's in the, ball, the spine of my learnings. But the first two are WWE ones. Mm-hmm. Kane. Kane. Brilliant debut, I think. 
especially the way he did it, the, the level they threw him into, and it all made sense. The character was there. Everything was, like, wonderful. The shield. Again, yeah. who the hell are these guys? What are they doing? What's going on? That might be the, the last great shock debut that's given no build-up. Possibly. Mm. I mean, I'm no one even in the developments, knew they were coming that night. No. And actually, they'd hold off using Dean Ambrose on NXT programming, I think specifically because they wanted him to be a bit of a bigger deal. TNA, Ethan Carter III, purely because they... I mean, TNA sort of done this a little bit, but the way they took someone who was basically no one in WWE mm. and made him a big deal with a simple tweak of his character. And he can play the part and be the real big deal. Sort of like a Bully Ray, but more homegrown a little bit. And my fourth one, it's hard because it this one, this is tough because it was a good debut, but then they ruined it. So, But I still think the core debut was good. Purely for the way they changed the perception and what they were going... What they, This is what... This is the debut as a debut. This is not what happened afterwards. Mm. This is why it's in my Mount Rushmore. Karma in WWE. Okay. Massive woman, great wrestler, monster, proper monster. The women's division had never really had a monster, and it just shattered the whole perception of what the Divas division was. Oh, look, it's two women not wearing very much rolling around. Suddenly, Karma comes out. Everything is going to kick off, and she just wiped out the entire field, and the fans were like, this is different, this is big, this is what we want, we want something new and exciting, and then they all sodded it off, but the initial like, hook, the moment, I think, with Karma, incredible, that's just my humble opinion. I think you and I might differ slightly on that one, I, I'm getting that feeling. Okay. Um, I'm just looking down at my notes that I've literally just made, and I'm trying to think of my worst debuts. These are going to be off the top of my head. I'll probably forget them as they go along, but even though, like I said, we'll always remember it, I think you have to have the Shockmaster as the, one of the worst debuts because they failed in everything they set out to do. They failed entirely. That was a complete... Nothing about that was good. Yeah. I want to go outside of the WWE, WCW, and them lot. I'm going to go with uh, Ring of Honor. When they tried to debut Conan on their roster back in 2002, and already Ring of Honor was too work rate based, and it was kind of it was kind of a statement to Gabe Sapolsky and them lot: this will not do. We don't want these sorts of wrestlers clogging up the Ring of Honor roster just because they might give you a bump in ticket sales. They're not right, and they had him debut against Divine Storm in a handicap match, I believe. And they also had him lose, so then they in the second uh, fall, so they automatically lost some of his luster, and I think they had to take it off the video release because it was so poorly received. I'll give Stephen Regal debuting as the real man's man with the hard hat and and the plan that they had eventually for him to turn out to be a bisexual. I believe that was what was going to happen. And I'm going to give a weird one. I'm going to give the entire roster in season two of NXT. Okay. Because you had Husky Harris, Lucky Cannon, Michael McGillicutty, Caval being partnered with Lay Cool. Oh. They had they didn't know what to do with them because the Nexus storyline was going on. It ended in one of the biggest cluster fucks of all time. When after Caval won, they were supposed to attack people, and then half of them forgot who they were supposed to be attacking. 
And I think Titus O'Neil had to no-sell MVP giving him the drive-by. It was obvious that no one had a clue what they were doing throughout the entirety of that run. And it, it affected every single person that was on that roster. No one came out looking good. Other people were able to come out being reinvented. But, you know, you just want to sum it all up. Caval gets, uh, wins it. And he chooses to use his title shot for the Intercontinental title. He loses that and he's kicked off the roster within a few months after that. So those would be my three, those my four, off the top of my head, worst debuts in wrestling history. The Shockmaster in WCW, Conan in Ring of Honor, William, Re- uh, Stephen Regal, the real man's man in the WWF, and the s- entire roster on season two of NXT. Right, Shockmaster. I yep. mean, we shouldn't really have the same one, but that one, uh, no one... I think maybe we'll, we'll allow one for each... One that we can agree on, and that can be seen as the ultimate. So that one, that's that's a lock-in with the Shockmaster. That, that's that's done, that's sorted. Um, I can't remember who he was called. Uh, one of many of Dustin Reynolds' character runs in TNA. Was Seven? He a Relic, I think, or kit, like Killer Oh, a Relic, okay, yeah, yeah. Then he had Black Rain. Was he a Relic? Or no, was Black, Rain, Relic? Black Rain was the one I'm thinking Black of. Rain. I had the pet rat Misty. Yes, that was basically, look, we're Goldust, but we can't afford to be sued. Mm. And they did one thing which can be done very well, and was done very well, so badly, Mm. that I think only Goldust being so good when he came back as Goldust saved that kind of character. It was that serious a death knell towards it, I think. Mm. So there's two. Okay, whoa, God, it's hard, because some of the characters, they hype up so heavily... Johnny, I'd like to say Johnny Curtis purely because it's not one that spites, it's not one that has anything necessarily wrong with it if it had gone somewhere. But the mm. point that it wasted that much of my time and everyone else's time mm. angers me so much that I have to have it in my Mount Rushmore. It was pointless and banal and it was like, look, we've got an extra hour of television. Let's, is there a plan? No. Mm. There's no plan. There's never been a plan. And in terms of one of the debuts, worst ever debuts, I, uh, I'm i going to have it purely because they tried to make it such a big thing. Like, at the time, like, you know, they, they built up to it and they had the egg starting to crack. On all uh-huh. the up to it. <laughs> you know where I'm going with this. Yeah, I know where you're going with this. I'm having the gobbledygooker. You're like, having the gobbledygooker. You can keep the gobbledygooker. <laughs> so there's my... Gene Oakland's finest moment and Rowdy Roddy Piper I mean everyone says Michael Cole's a shameless shill and doesn't mean what he says Roddy Piper claimed that every person in the crowd loved the gobbledygooker that was not the case that was not the case no uh, I actually uh, have you done your four now is that all yeah that, that's my fourth one uh, so <laughs> I went with Johnny Curtis mm-hmm. gobbledygooker Black Rain. I can't even remember his name. That's how awful. That's it. how bad a debut it was. And Shockmaster. Yeah, I'm going to take back one of the ones I had. Actually, I'm going to I'm going to be kind to the real man's man, William uh, Stephen Regal, and say it was always meant as a bit of a joke. They never had high hopes for him. But I'll get because I'm, I'm going to wipe. I'm going to alter my debut. Worst debut ever. One Mr. Buff Bagwell making his debut appearance on Raw and single-handedly destroying any momentum held by the WCW invasion and pretty much torpedoing the entire roster of WCW wrestlers and making them all be mistrusted by 
both his on-screen behaviour and wrestling and his backstage antics. I don't know what his mindset was around that time. He claims he was told to be boring or something like that. I don't know. Okay, so I'm going to give my personal Mount Rushmore of the greatest debuts of all time. Always ends on a high note, go on. And see, there are ones that have greatness within them, but either through them being misremembered as being great, greater than they were because of the great legacy, or being forgotten or seen as a what could have been because of what happened afterwards. So an example of that would be Taz made a great debut on the Royal Rumble, tapped out Kurt Angle, and could have had so much go on for him, but was lost in the shuffle. Um, so I've got my top... And also made great debuts that could have been. Here's one for you. Uh, Gabe Sapolsky at one point planned to have Davey Richards beat Brian Danielson and win the Ring of Honor World Championship on his first night. Now, that would have been a debut that caused discussions, uh, which didn't quite happen. Very, very tempted to have Shinsuke Nakamura's. Very tempted to have Tiger Mask. Uh, against Dynamite Kid, which I believe was his first ever match, but I can't be 100% certain, so I'm just going to go with what I know. And unfortunately, what I know is going to lead to four WWE ones again, but I'll start off with one. The Radicals, when Chris Benoit, Eddie Guerrero, Perry Saturn, and Dean Malenko all debuted on the same night. The SmackDown afterwards kind of diluted them by having them all lose to DX, but that moment mm. was kind of like the final nail in the coffin for WCW, where they lost four of their top talents, and all of a sudden the WWE's mid-card became flooded with a ridiculous level of ability and talent. Like talent out of their ears they had at that yeah. point. That is like, that's just, those four people in that ring, it's just some of the, that that's just gold. Yeah. Next on my list will be when Scott Hall debuted on WCW and ushered in the NWO oh. era, because that you was... Know, I have genuinely the, got it, I, I forgot, like, I let, I overlooked that, but I'm mm. glad that you've had that. Again, done so low-key, in the middle of a match between Mike Enos and, I don't know, Jerry Flynn? I'm not sure who it was. Um, I know that Mike Enos was one of the two, and Scott Hall just was there in the background, he wasn't the focus of the camera's attention, you could see him in the crowd. Brilliant filming, they very rarely film it that well um, in wrestling. So there we go, Scott Hall, the Radicals, and my next two are going to be one one of the same. It's going to be, I'm keeping it in the family. My other one is when The Undertaker debuted at the 1990 Survivor Series. First person he wrestled, Bret the Hitman Hart. And he, just from the minute he came out, as Gorilla Monsoon and Roddy Piper said, holy mackerel, look at the size of that ham hock. Yeah. And uh, the same night as the Gobbledygooker debut, actually. Looked perfect from the start. Was intriguing. He was still rough around the edges. The tombstone looked a bit ugly. But they had him beat the crap out of Coco Beware. They had him beat the crap out of Dusty Rhodes. They had him lose by Countout because of the stupid, you know, because that's how Survivor Series were in those days. But you just did not. The crowd was silent, and it was not silence through indifference. No. It was silence through awe. He had it from the moment he set foot in that ring. And the other debut, to bring it with yours and make it our definitive, this show's great debut, is Kane. Yes. Perfect lighting, perfect music, built up over months. He looks right. 
it was in the end of a ridiculous match. The Undertaker's reaction was perfect. The commentators, that's gotta be, that's gotta be Kane. The music, the lighting, everything about it was perfect. Everything about it. And it led to another career that's lasted more than a decade. Uh, it's had its bumps along the road. But I think we can, we can and we will dedicate a whole episode to Kane. Because oh, there's lots I want to talk about Kane. Oh, Kane's various reinventions and... I mean, I, I, I mean, if we are going to devote the whole episode to it, but I think there's a man whose character is the best it's been for several years now. Ooh, some people would disagree vehemently with that, Simon. It vehemently, was. I tell you. But we will save that for another time and another date and another episode. Because this has been, let me tell you something, and you've let us tell you something. So... My name's Lorcan Mullen. If you want to contact me or follow me on Twitter, it's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A for Apple N. I have a book, an e-book, that's available via Amazon called Confessions of a Smart Wrestling Fan. If you want more of this kind of pontificating and personal reflections on how wrestling affected me throughout 20 years of my life, then that's the place to go. Uh, Simon, how can people get in touch or get into other bits of information that you have? Uh, well, I'm Simon Cross Free on Twitter because I'm slightly less uh, original than my uh, erstwhile colleague over here. Uh, if you want to hear me talk about football with one of the uh, for one of the, with one of the most strange and unique human beings I've ever um, had the gra- a good grace to meet, uh, Mr. Sir Thomas Patrick. Now you can catch us all on Mid Table Crisis, which you can find through our uh, Facebook page, and just type it into YouTube, and we're on there because we were too poor to buy a SoundCloud page at first. Mm-hmm. But we'll get uh, we'll get to that at some point. For Simon Cross and myself, Lorca Mullen, thank you for letting us tell you something. Good night, Grapple fans. Obviously. You know, obviously, who came up with and it? I did, I did, <laughs> but but it was it. Fred's a great guy. Of course, we he call is. him Uncle Fred. I tell you, I'm gonna tell you the story quickly. <laughs> Uncle Fred, early in the day, had busted through this wall as a shockmaster on a flare for the goal. Busted through the wall. Everything went good. David Crockett had somebody. Nella two before on the bottom of the new wall, which was not there when he busted through the wall the first, first time. time. Okay. <laughs> the voice of Shockmaster was Ole Anderson. He was off in another deal with a microphone. Also the voice say, of the black school. Yeah, because I am the Shockmaster. I come to kick somebody's ass. You know what I mean? Well, we're all sitting there laughing, and all of a sudden the bomb went off. And Fr- Uncle Fred, poor Uncle Fred, <laughs> Uncle Fred bust through, and he hit that two before that David Crockett had put down no. there to sabotage my ass, <laughs> had put there, and the shockmaster fell flat on his ass. The helmet rolled off. <laughs> he fumbled for the helmet, and he I'm sitting there, I'm sitting there, what we call a gorilla position, and I'm, I'm started to rumble with the laughter to where they almost had to take me to the hospital. And as he fell and he found the helmet and he put it back on and the summit stood up <laughs> and all these all these voice started cracking and he said, I'm the shockmaster. So 
<laughs> At home, they're watching this on television. All the kids. Cody. Young Cody's there. With all the kids, they're watching this. And the kids looked at it in fright and they're laughing. And they looked at it in fright. And Cody turns around to all the other kids and he says, I think that was Uncle Fred. <laughs> <laughs> and it was Uncle Fred.